Let's turn this morning in our Bibles to First uh, Peter, we're chapter five, and we're going to read for the final time this what I've called inspired postscript. So First Peter chapter five, we're reading from the verse twelve. Hear the word of the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12, reading, of course, from the authorized verse. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God, wherein ye stand. The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus my son. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. We know that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now this is my final message on this series on 1 Peter today. For many weeks and months, stretching back even about the course of two years, I've tried to set forth from this first letter of Peter the great truths of the gospel. I've preached something like maybe 65 or 67 messages. Many of them, if not all, are recorded on the church website. I want to thank our brother Mark Strong for placing them there. I encourage you to visit the church website. It's certainly full of helpful and interesting material. And you can listen to the sermon again at your leisure if you want. Uh, sometime we will post a, an overview of First Peter. Uh, we will set forth the whole of the letter in a very short um, uh, statement and um, we'll try and have a good working outline that you can memorize and I've no doubt that that will be helpful too. It's, it's good to have a, 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 a panoramic view of things uh, as well as a detailed breakdown of verse by verse. Now today my text is taken from the last verse of First Peter chapter 5, it's the verse 14, greet ye one another with a kiss of charity, peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus Amen. And my theme today is to consider the great benediction to the church. You see, in past sermons, I have pointed out that in 1 Peter chapter 5, 12 to 14, what I've called a divine postscript, there are five interesting details. Five interesting details that haven't been known up to this point. The first thing that we said, who was with Peter? He was not in his own. If you look at verse 12, it says, By Sylvanus, a faithful brother unto you. And we pointed out that the name Sylvanus is the Latin name for the Greek Silas. He is with Peter. Uh, he is known to the churches in Asia Minor. He's referred to as a faithful brother. Silas was a faithful missionary. He was a faithful penman here to Peter in faithfully recording Peter's words that came forth under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's a faithful postman. 
because he ended up delivering the letter to the churches in Asia Minor. And of course, what we need today in the church is faithful men, men of God, men full of the Holy Ghost and power. And if you want to pray about the church, then you could pray, well, Lord, raise up faithful men. And then you strive, uh, young man, young woman, uh, to be faithful to Christ and his cause. So we discovered from this postscript, something that the commentators have just glossed over, um, who was with Peter. The second thing we learned was why Peter was writing. What's the answer? It comes at the end. As I suppose, I've written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God, wherein ye stand. We also learned thirdly where Peter was at. It says the church that is at Babylon elected together with you saluteth you. And here's where he was. He was at ancient Babylon. Literal Babylon. There's a church at ancient Babylon. We pointed out. We give you eight reasons why it's not a code name for Rome. This was a literal place, a real historical place uh, where there was a church. And there's the, the wonder of the amazing grace of God. And we also discovered, fourthly, that there was another individual with him. There's a reference to Marketh, my son. And that, that was Peter's son in the faith. Peter's not saying, I'm his biological dad or I'm his real father. He was saying, I'm a spiritual father, and it's a reference, as we've seen, uh, to John Mark. And we learned in that sermon how a failure can become final. Now, fifthly and lastly, learning from this postscript, what was he saying as he wrote the postscript with his own hand to the churches? And here's the answer. He was sending Christian greetings to the churches that he was writing to. At the beginning, he wrote to strangers, individuals in many congregations in Asia Minor, congregations that were spread over five provinces in Asia Minor, now modern-day Turkey. And he ended sending warm words of greetings to the saints in these churches from Babylon, from the people of God, in Babylon. He's sending greetings on behalf of himself, on behalf of the church at Babylon, and on behalf of his spiritual son, John Mark. And this is what he says. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, if you were to get a map, Find ancient Babylon on the edge of the river Euphrates and draw a line into modern-day Turkey, you'll discover that that's a distance of almost a thousand miles. And yet here's Peter, on behalf of himself, on behalf of this church at Babylon, on behalf of John Mark, and he's sending Christian greetings to the churches a thousand miles away. And it's an indication of their love and an indication of their uh, loyalty to one another. What they're really saying is, we, we identify with you. We, we, we salute you. We are in solidarity with you, even though you are suffering saints. Remember, he's writing to suffering saints in the midst of persecution, affliction, and he's writing to encourage and to strengthen them. He wants them to look to Christ. He wants them to stand fast in the true grace of God. 
You see, the church of Jesus Christ is like a family. A spiritual family. And you think of the family of God separated by many miles. One mile or a hundred or a thousand. And yet, they're one in love. Their love to God in Christ. They're one in loyalty with one another. You see, there is such a thing as true love and loyalty of the true church of Jesus Christ the world over. There is true love and loyalty of individual Christians, but there's also love and loyalty of individual churches, and that's unique in the whole of the world. It's not matched by any other kind of institution known in the world. And in verse 14, having said the church that is at Babylon elected together with you, saluteth you, stands in love and solidarity with you, and so doth Marcus, my son. This is what he says at the end. And here's the benediction. The benediction, the great benediction that we're going to consider today as a final message. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now as you look at this benediction to the church, there are four things I want to show you or set before you. One, the foundation of peace. Note the words, peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. You see, you cannot have true peace today apart from being united to Jesus Christ. In Christ, you can have peace with God. Romans 5 and 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, you can experience and know the peace of God that passes all understanding. In the book of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7 we read, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, and we'll come back to that verse. But out of Christ, those who are still in their sin, those who are still exposed to and under the, the wrath of a sin-hating God, those who are still exposed to the awfulness of a Christless hell, the Bible says that there is no peace to the wicked. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 57. But the wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. In Romans 8 and 1 we read, There is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. You see, in Christ Jesus, you can have peace with God and experience the peace of God. There is no other ground to have peace. As Colossians 1 and 20 puts it, it's the peace of the blood of the cross. It says there, and having made peace through the blood of the cross. What a wonderful blessing to have peace with God and to know the peace of God. To know that the sin question has been dealt with in Christ. That, that God in Christ has provided salvation. You're no longer fearful of death. 
No longer troubled about your sin. No, no, no longer concerned about judgment to come. You can look death in the eye and say, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. You can say, As in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now let me ask you this morning a very fundamental question. As you think of the foundation of peace, have you peace with God? Do you know anything of the peace of God? The key question, of course, is are you in Christ Jesus? Have you trusted him as Lord and Saviour? Have you, you bowed the knee and cried out, God, be merciful to me, the Son? Christ is the Prince of Peace. Christ has procured peace for us, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Christ preaches peace. It's not a wonderful message when you think of linking it up with John chapter 14 and in the verse 27. The Lord Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. What a lovely verse. Peace, of course, is the fruit of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit who indwells every true believer. We're born of the Spirit. We're indwelt by the Spirit. We can be filled with the Spirit of God. You know, it is right and proper that the bodily presence of the Lord Jesus is no longer with us. See, before the resurrection, he was with his disciples. And he was with them locally and literally and physically and geographically. But now by his spirit, after his resurrection, and he sent the comforter. The, the, the comforter now comes and we're not only regenerated by the Spirit, but, but the Spirit of God, once we receive Christ as Lord and Savior, comes and dwells within each of us. And he imparts this wonderful blessing. This is one of the fruits of the Spirit. The blessing of peace. Now let me ask you, do you know peace with God? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? Can you say it is well with my soul? Can you put your head in the pillow and you have no fear of death, hell, their judgment? You have no fear of standing before this holy and righteous God because you've got peace with God. And the blood of Christ whispers peace within your heart and mind. Let me reinforce it. You have no peace if you don't have Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because peace is the sole prerogative of Christ. So there's the foundation of peace. As Peter puts it, peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. So I ask the question, are you saved this morning? Have you trusted Christ as Lord and Savior? Notice secondly, very importantly, the features of peace. You see, in this local body of the church, this local congregation, Babylon, there was a, a message being sent from Babylon to the churches in Asia Minor. And the peace that they enjoyed, the peace with God in Christ and the peace of God, was known and displayed by the quality of their love one for another. If you look at the first part of the verse, it says, Greet ye one another 
with a kiss of charity. Now, what does that mean? Well, let me try to explain it this way. The Bible, of course, is a book that's written in an Eastern setting. The kiss here has to refer to a hug. Could refer to a peck on the cheek or both cheeks. Could refer to a peck on the beard or the head or the hand. It could even be a kiss on the lips, a gentle kiss, a light peck. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, of course, the great prince of preachers, um, he was asked to explain the meaning of the kiss. Uh, so you can just imagine somebody coming up and saying, uh, Pastor Spurgeon, the Bible says, greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. But what does that mean, Pastor? See, sometimes, of course, you've got very inquisitive people. But, but they already know the answer, but they just want to try and catch the pastor out. So this is what he said. He says, that's easy. A kiss? That's a brief introduction. You need two good heads, and you need a prolonged application. That was the way he put it. And, and that's the thought here. You see, what's he saying? Let each man among you, or each woman, greet one another in this way. This was a very important ceremony. You see, it was a mark of love. It was a mark of honor. When they greeted one another, they said shalom, which means in the Hebrew, peace. The Jewish leaders in the days of Christ loved salutations in the marketplace. They loved people to come up and speak to them and say shalom. And they would have embraced each other. And they would have kissed each other in the beard or the head or the cheek. Or even the hand. And it was sending out a message. And this was the message. This was a sign of fraternity. This was a sign of equality in the brotherhood of God's people. That This was a sign that they were in fellowship one with another. This was a sign that they had loved one to another. That, that they had respect and honor one for another. Of course there is no superiority in the church of Jesus Christ among its members. As Paul could write, we're all one in Christ Jesus. But here's one of the features of this peace. It was known and displayed by the quality of the love they had one for another. Let me just make it clear this morning in Presbyterian government. The minister's not superior over the elders or over the members of the church. The minister's job, my job at times, is to chair meetings of the Kirk Session, chair meetings of the committee. Committees made up of elders and deacons. And of course, I have to say this, and the men know this. If the situation ever arose, I, I would never use a casting vote. I would refuse to do so. Not even to break a deadlock. We would leave a decision. We'd defer a decision. Why? Because the minister is not a pope or a priest in the church. The minister's not superior over the Kirk session. He's not the boss of the Kirk session. He's not telling them what to do. He's not a dictator. The minister, like Christ, has to be the servant of all. The minister, like Christ, has to be in call 24-7. And he labors as a work of love for the good of all under his care and under his charge. 
and he's aware that not only is there fraternity, but there is an equality in the brotherhood of God's people. And when Christians greet one another in the East, there's this shalom, there's this kiss of charity. In the West, of course, it's a, maybe a hug or a handshake, but it's a display of love. It's a display of honour. It's the exercise of love. It's, it's, it's a desire that we have for one another. I hope you have the peace of God. I hope you are enjoying the peace of God. Because the word shalom, not only is a greeting, not only does it mean peace, but it means be safe. It means be certain, brother. It means be, be rich and full, brother. Be content. And that's what the word shalom means. So this is one of the features of peace. It is known and displayed by the quality of their love. Didn't the Lord Jesus say, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. Christians are not to tolerate one another. They're not to make snide remarks one to another. They're certainly not to loathe each other. They're not even to like each other. But they're to love one another. And that's a total different experience. And that is they're to be fixated with the good and well-being of each other. So when we say to one another, peace, brother, what we're saying is I want you to be safe. I want you to be certain and absolutely sure. And I want you to be rich and full and content. Here's this genuine welcome for the people of God. In the churches at Asia Minor. And it comes from Peter. It comes from Mark. It comes from those members of the church at Babylon. And and he's stating it right at the end of the letter. So it will be in the heart and mind. Of the people of God. As the letter is read. Remember. It's only enjoyed by virtue of being in union with Jesus Christ. And it's a display of love. Also very quickly. This peace protects the heart and mind. Remember what we said there in Philippians 4 and verse 7? And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I want you to think of soldiers, young people. And they've occupied a particular land. And they're stationed there. And they've got to keep that territory safe. Where do they live? They don't go and live in houses in the village. No, no, they build a fort. Or they build a garrison. It's got walls and gates and bars and towers. And the soldiers inside, well, they're safe. And from that place of safety, then they can defend the realm that that they're appointed to defend. And what Paul is saying here, of course, in Philippians 4 and 7, the peace of God is like this. The peace of God, he says, keeps or, or garrisons or protects what? Your heart and mind, and of course the source of that, is always through Christ Jesus. In other words, the peace of God keeps you in a state of calmness. Keeps you tranquil. Keeps you in a state of ease. Doesn't the Bible say, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed in thee, because he trusteth in thee. And this peace that protects the heart and mind, here's another feature. Even when you face trials and difficulties, Remember, these were suffering saints. They were facing hardship. These were tough times to be a Christian. 
They, they experiencing persecution, the fiery trial. There's opposition. There, there's troubles of all sorts in the workplace, in society, in the home. You see, whenever we think of peace, we, we think of our holidays. We think of a sunbed, a pair of sunglasses, maybe swimming shorts. Nobody in sight. And the waiter, and we, we call him or her, and they, they bring us a cold drink or ice cream. And you've got a book there. And you're in a state of tranquility and you feel good and you're happy and you're soaking up the sun and there's nobody to bother you and the phone's not going off and there's no problems or difficulties. And sometimes we think, well, that, that's, that's, that's peace. That, that's heavenly. But that's, that's not what Peter meant. It's an inward peace despite what's going on in the outside all around you. And you see, that's not natural. It's peace in the storms of life. That's impossible. But that's a miracle of God's grace. An interesting little story was told of a pastor and one of his friends. He was offered to get um, a ride in one of these light aeroplanes. And there was the pilot and there was two learners and there was the pastor and his friend. And of course the pastor was fearful. I would certainly have been fearful and probably sick and scared out of my wits. And this is what the pilot said to the pastor. Pastor, don't worry. Don't be afraid. Pastor, the time to get worried is when I'm frightened. And if I'm frightened, then you can be worried. But, but the pilot was in control. And our blessed Lord Jesus is in control. And he'll never ever be out of control. And he'll never be fearful or fretting. And he won't be full of care and worry. Why? Because he's the Prince of Peace. And he can provide peace for us. In the midst of the storms. The storms of life. And we all face them. We all have trials and troubles. But there's never no peace apart from him. Here's the features of this peace. It's displayed by a quality of our love. It's peace that protects and garrisons our heart and mind. It's peace in the midst of the storm. It's an inward peace. Have you this peace today? Notice thirdly and quickly, the focus of the peace. The focus here of peace is on the church ecclesiastically. You, you, you think of the, the church at Babylon. And the churches in the five provinces of Asia Minor, now modern day Turkey, a thousand miles apart. And yet this message from Peter has been sent to be read in those churches in Asia Minor, in all the five provinces, in the many congregations. You see, there's true peace worldwide for the true church of Jesus Christ. Peace is enjoyed. Peace is that's founded upon the, the foundation of the sovereign grace of God, centered in the personal work of Christ. Peace enjoyed in the true fellowship of the gospel. You see, in the Free Presbyterian Church, we can have fellowship with independent Baptists, with Baptists here and abroad, with other fundamental independent churches. Even those that are not really classified as being reformed and Calvinistic. And they mightn't dot every I with us or stroke every T. 
But I want to tell you, we can have fellowship with them. And true unity, of course, is rooted in true peace. I'm not talking about the false unity or, or the false peace of the ecumenical movement. We, we would have no truck with Arctic. We would have no truck with the, the, the BEM document, the Baptism of Eucharist, our ministry document of the Anglicans and the Roman Catholic Church. But there has to be a true peace among the true people of God. And the only true basis for true peace and unity is among the churches that embrace and cling to the gospel. The gospel of God is centered in the person and work of Christ. There's not only a focus on the church ecclesiastically, but there has to be a focus on the church locally. If you go back to that statement, greet one another. Display your love one to another. Display your loyalty one to another. Live for one another. Notice lastly, and with this we'll finish, the fruit of peace. Think of the last word, young people. Amen. We know you like to hear an amen on a Sunday, especially at the end of the service. The, The word amen It's an inspired word. And I I want you to think of this word as used by the Savior. You see, this word amen is a title of Christ. Over there in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14, you'll come across the statement. The Lord Jesus is speaking to one of the seven churches. And he says in Revelation 3 and verse 14, Um, uh, 14 and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things saith the Amen the faithful and true witness the beginning of the creation of God the word Amen is a title for the Lord Jesus Christ and linked to that is that the fact that he's a faithful and true witness you see the word Amen is meant to instill assurance within the heart It's meant to strengthen the heart. This is a true saying. This is a faithful thing. Isn't it good today that there's one that you can believe in? One who has your back. One who will never let you down. One who will never fail you. One who will not mislead you. One who will not lie to you. One who will tell you the absolute truth. Never question the honesty of Christ. Never question his integrity. Jesus Christ is not a, a lying friend. When you have a friend that's a true friend and he tells you something, you trust that word. You believe that word. You, you, you hold to that word. My, my friend says. But if your friends find out to be telling you lies, then it breaks the friendship. The Lord Jesus can come today and tell you you've got an immortal soul. He can tell you that you need to be saved. He can tell you that you need salvation has provided and found it in him. He can tell you that there's a home in heaven. How do we know there's a home in heaven? How do we know that the saints who have left this church are with Christ in glory and have entered into the fullness of their blessing? And we can could, we could name many. I, I just don't want to name one. But, but how do we know that heaven is real? We have never seen it. We've never touched it. We've not been there. We have no proof, have we? Oh, yes, we have. We have his word. His word. 
In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go and to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. Where I am, there you may be also. So this word, Amen, it's a title of Christ. And, and, and it sends out a message. You can have absolute assurance. This is a true and faithful witness. Also, as it's used by the saints. You know what the word amen means, young people? It means, may it be so. It's a response to this truth as proclaimed by the faithful and true witness. What we're really saying is, may heaven confirm this. May heaven let it stand. The word amen can be translated, so let it be. And as a whole congregation, we want to encourage you. When the prayer is ended in the morning, at the start of the morning service, to say amen. Because you're joining in as a congregational prayer. And what you're really saying is, Lord, let it be. Let it stand at your sight. All that's been requested in the name of Christ, let that come to pass, Lord. And, and of course, when we leave the service and we have the benediction, then we want to encourage you as a congregation to say amen. And what we're really saying is, Lord, set your seal upon it. You see, it's interesting that Peter wraps the whole letter up by using one word. And I could have preached a sixth sermon now and I realize it on the final word. But we didn't. Here's the fruit of peace. As used by the Savior. As used by the saints. Only in Christ is all this true. Only in Christ will God bring it to pass. We've got the assurance of God's promise of peace. Amen. Let it be so. Here's the great benediction to the church. Let me ask you, do you know anything of this peace? Its foundation, are you in Christ? Do you know anything of the feature? Displayed by love, an inward peace, peace that garrisons your heart and mind, even in the midst of trials and sickness and suffering. Can you see the focus? A thousand miles apart from Babylon to these churches, and yet they're, they're one because they're united by true peace in the gospel of Christ. And here's the fruit everybody can say amen, even the Saviour. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to you this morning.